Okay, here we go. We're going to continue on in our series talking about the J-curve. If you've been here for a couple of weeks, you know that uh, we want one image and one phrase to be burned into um, your heart and your soul. It's this right here. It's that little image and then that little phrase. uh, Because... Um, as a community of believers, uh, whether you're, this is your first time or, or not, maybe even you're new to Christianity, maybe you're just uh, asking questions about Christianity. Um, as a church body, uh, we have uh, been in a season of, of hurt and of pain, and it happened again on Thursday. Um, so to spare the details or uh, just know that just the tragedy just walks into our lives um, unexpect, unexpectedly. And so that's what happened on Thursday morning when we got to the office uh, seeing a former church member who's, who's moved on in our office for, for um, just because she has just stepped into uh, um, a season of pain that she, the night before, she wasn't expecting. Uh, pain and suffering, what do we, what do, we do with that? Um, we, we're hoping to equip our, our body with just um, some tools on what it means to kind of walk through this. Now, this is a tool in which will get us into like everyday kind of realities of, of what it's like to journey in this direction. We've talked about it for a couple of weeks, and we'll continue to talk about it uh, today. So I was 19 years old. I was a second semester freshman at ETSU. I see that we have a couple of ETSU people back. Woot, woot. Uh, school's about to get started. Um, I was a recent uh, convert to Christianity. Um, and there was a stirring inside my heart that I wanted to do something with my summer. I wanted to give my life to something. I wanted to be on mission for Jesus. And so the thing that I did was I applied. Um, there was a vague memory of some organization that treated me well in high school And so I thought, well, that seemed like a decent organization. Why don't I just apply there? And so uh, with that, I applied. That second semester, application sent. The moment of truth had arrived. I opened up my mailbox, and there was an envelope. Um, I still remember that day um, like it was yesterday because I leave the Culp Center, um, and I walked toward the library to be a part of a study session. Um, before I started to study, before I joined the group, I remember sitting down and opening this mail, especially that one envelope that had, um, that had the exciting moment of telling me where my summer would end up. And so then I tore open the envelope and I read, Dear Spencer, I regret to inform you that we have decided not to select you to be a part of our summer staff. Best regards. I'd only been a believer for four months at that point. I was dejected and I was saddened and I held on to this letter that said, you have not been picked. Holding, Holding that letter, I walked out of the library and my heart just dropped. My ego was stung and bruised and wounded. Not only was I not going to be able to share my life with others and serve on mission, I just got rejected. And 
I'm going to be honest, being the rejected was probably harder than knowing that I'm not going to spend my summer giving my, to Jesus. That's just how cold and calloused my heart is. It was quite the blow. Then I looked up, and I saw an old girlfriend in high school. She was sitting on the steps of the library. Now, this is a girl that I had significantly wronged in high school. And to that moment, I can't remember if we'd said um, a few words to one another since the breakup. She's sitting on the library steps, and she did something that I had never expected her to do. She waved for me to come over and just join her to sit there. So I sat there, and I shared my story. And for some reason, this girl listened. For some reason, she heard my bad news, and she comforted me. She consoled me. She even gave me hope. Why? Why in the world would you be so kind and gentle to a person who had treated you so badly and caused you so much pain? Why offer hope to a jerk like me? You see, my natural instincts would have been to ignore me. My natural instincts would be not to wave me over. My natural instincts would not to give me hope. But instead, as I heard the sob story of me being rejected, I probably would have played, that's what you deserve. But she didn't. She did the exact opposite. So when payback was hers to give, she resisted. And instead of giving me, instead of giving me what I deserve, she gave me the opposite. She gave me Christ. And she gave me forgiveness. And she offered me hope that came in a deep, deep place in her heart. You see, what that girl did that day on the library steps was she lived out this J-curve. I didn't know the phrase. I definitely didn't know the graphic. But she died to herself. When it was easy to reject, when it was easy um, to, to not be kind, she died in order to give me life. I tell this story every four or five years simply to remind myself that someone living this type of life can change other people's lives. I know that because she changed my life. Because my entire trajectory of life changed that very afternoon, evening on those library steps. She lived the J-curve. And so we want you to have this shape. This is what we want your life shape to be. The American dream is to ascend, to climb a ladder, right? And to actually look down on other people. And yet this girl and what Jesus did and what we are all calling ourselves to do is actually die to self and to serve others and to be a servant of all things so that we will allow Jesus to raise us up. So what exactly is the J-curve? Real quickly, uh, this, is, this comes from Paul Miller. Um, we didn't buy a bunch of, a stack of books, but this comes from Paul Miller's book with this graphic and this title. And uh, it's a little cheesy, but he says, this looks like the letter J because it stands for Jesus. 
Again, a little corny, right? But you kind of get the picture that the J stands for Jesus, and this is the trajectory of his life. And this is the trajectory of our lives. And he simply says this, that the normal Christian life repeatedly reenacts the dying and rising of Jesus. This is what the J curve is. So I think it would be good for all of us to repeat after Paul Miller. He says this, that the normal Christian life Oh, sorry, I said repeat. Y'all just read it along with me. All right, that's different from repeat, right? Repeat is I say something, you say something. Let's just read it together. Um, The normal Christian life, that sounds better, repeatedly reenacts the dying and rising of Jesus. Simple, right? Simple, 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 yet impossible, impossible, impossible. The life of Jesus went down before it went up. It went into death before it rose again. Sometimes this life comes to us, right? Whether the suffering and pain is a sick loved one or maybe just uh, something unexpectedly that just comes upon us. Sometimes we choose this life. Sometimes we walk into suffering and pain and loss on purpose, whether it comes to us or we walk toward us, this is the normal Christian life, is that we walk into death so that Jesus is the one to give us life. If we try to do it the opposite, we will, we will um, cling to nothing. This type of life is perfect for our, um, our, our worldview. Uh, the way that we look at the world today is what people call emotivism, all right? That we cling to our emotions. The way that we feel, all right, or the way something makes me feel is how I interpret the world. And so if something makes me sad, it must not be good for me. If something makes me mad, it must not be good for me. If something makes me angry, then obviously I need to put it off in my life. And this is what it means to live emotionally, right? Or to feel our way around life, that we're allowing our feelings to dictate our entire life. In the same way that the uh, Enlightenment allowed reason to dictate reality or the Industrial Revolution to allow uh, economics, especially economic gain, to interpret our realities. Here and now, in the year 2019, you and I live in our emotions. And so when something like this tells us that we have to on purposely die, we immediately discount it. You and I are emotional beings, and you and I live out of our emotions. You You don't want to bet? Because there are these things that have entered our world. Those are emojis. And you and I, as a culture, we have stopped talking in words, but instead we have started talking in emojis. We send these types of messages all the time. Right? If you don't understand this language, don't worry, it's coming, right? Because it's not my cup of tea, right? This is what Nicole sends me all the time. Yeah, bub, you are in the... Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Yeah, right. When pigs fly. I mean, it's just, it, this, is, this is our new reality. And so what we need is we do not need to feel our way through reality. Instead, you and I must... Are y'all laughing at 
Go back to something else. But we do. This is the culture we live in. We live in an icon culture. We can't depend on our emotions, though, because oftentimes what makes us sad, right, is the thing that we need the most. Oftentimes, the thing that we need to cling on to are the things that the Lord has allowed in our lives. And that's where one theological truth that has to be shared with us is what is called union with Christ. This idea that we are in union with Jesus Christ. Um, For the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about two theological foundations of the J-curve. One is this idea that we are in union with Christ. And the second is this idea that love, as we understand it, has to be filtered through this idea that it's substitutionary. These are strong words, right? And these are possibly phrases that we're not familiar with. That's why we're going to take two weeks to talk about union and talk about substitution. We need these in our lives because these two things combat emotionalism. This, these two things give us true, strong theological pillars in which we are able to, to navigate our lives. So here's, here's what we need to know about union with Christ. First and foremost is that union with Christ is a, is a, fa- a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between a believer and Christ. Obviously the word union, right, is there. So union, so that means that unity is there. Is that to summarize several different relationships that a believer has with Jesus through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. We'll get to the second one first, but first and foremost is that we need to understand that there are several different types of relationships that happen between the human, right, the believer, and Jesus. The Christian life is not just one relationship with Jesus, summarized with a relationship with Jesus, but in fact there's many different types of relationships that we gain. You look at the scriptures and you're going to see this phrase that we are in Christ, right? That is one form of relationship, is that you and I are actually housed into Jesus. This is what he does for us, is that we are in Christ. Another phrase that we see over and over and over is this idea that Christ is in us. Right? And so our different types of relationships, no matter whether we are in Jesus or Jesus is in us, it's a different type of relationship that means that we are now united with him. We have a union with Jesus. And this is how we navigate the world, is understand that union with Christ is in the scriptures over and over and over again. You do a simple search of in Christ or in him, and you will find the phrase, 170 times, give or take. That's a lot of times that you see one simple phrase that is characterized by you and I, that we are in him. To give you a little perspective, the word Christian is only in our scriptures three times. The label that Jesus wants you and I to understand is that you and I are found or we are housed in Jesus. The reason that we have righteousness, right, is because of what Jesus has given to us. The reason that we have holiness is not because of ourselves, it's because we are found in Jesus. But in the same way that we, actually the way that we live is through the power of Jesus. 
the reason that we're a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come, is because of what Jesus has done for us. It happens over and over and over again is this idea that our relationship, all of our relationship has changed because we now have a union with him. And then all of these benefits of salvation are housed inside this idea of union with Christ. So if you just do a, just a search of these types of salvation, the benefits of salvation, take re regeneration. If you look at Ephesians 2 and you read about what it means to be regenerated for your old, cold, dark heart to be made new, guess what you're going to find? These, this phrase of being in him, this idea that we are united, we are, we are in, in Christ. The same thing with justification. You go to 1 Corinthians and you understand what it means to be justified. That means to be made right with God. Guess what you're going to find? Union with Christ. The same thing with sanctification. The idea that you and I can be godly and we can be holy and we can pursue the good things of life. The only way that can happen is John 5, if we abide in him. This idea is over and over and over the way that we persevere, Romans 8, and the way that we are going to be glorified. All of these benefits of salvation are housed under the reality that you and I are in Christ Jesus forever. So the question for you and I is how does this union with Christ help us to suffer well? How does it help us? If this is a series on how we are to navigate the world, on what it means to suffer well, what is it about union with Christ that will actually help us? Here's our passage. Philippians 3 tells us this. This is what Paul says, that I may know him, this is Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings and share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. You see the phrase there that I've highlighted? And so the way that you and I share in his suffering, so the way that we are united with Christ or we have union in Christ is actually to walk beside him as we share in his sufferings. Again, this steps on the toes to emotional beings who thinks that everything that is sad or bad or makes you mad is something that needs to be replaced immediately. Maybe, just maybe, this is the way that you grow in Christ Jesus, is to walk with him in the depths of something so dark that you cannot make it out yourselves, that all you need, what you need is not your own effort or someone else's good advice, but you need Jesus himself to grab you up and to lift you up. This is what it means to share in Jesus' Christ, in his sufferings, and you become like him unto death. There's an entire theology out there that says that your best life is right here and now. That's a bunch of malarkey where you just have to pray yourself into some great existence that may not be true for you and me. Maybe, just maybe, what he has called us to is something deeper and darker and something that you cannot get yourself out of and so that he is the one that will raise you up. Our life is unpredictable, but the Christian life is predictable. 
And it's predictable that you and I have to share in what Jesus' life looked like. And if you go over and over and over again, you will see that he's continuing to humble and to suffer and to be obedient and die, even death on the cross. It's a complete descending order down. And that's why union with Christ matters. It's because if we're going to be on this journey with Jesus— if we're going to follow him unrelentlessly, just know that what Paul is telling us to do is to have a different vantage point of life. That maybe, just maybe, he's actually calling us to share in his sufferings. Union with Christ. To hold on to a critical piece of what makes Jesus, Jesus, which is hurt, which is his hurt, pain, loss, and rejection. This morning we have a great opportunity to hear what it means to live a life where we don't want to share in sufferings. We wouldn't prefer to share in sufferings. If we were to write our own story, we definitely wouldn't pick this path. And yet oftentimes Jesus picks this path to get to the very heart of who he is so that we can get to the heart of who we are. And with that, I'd like to introduce uh, Miss Samantha McNeil to us, who has with great uh, courage and boldness agreed to come and share her story of sharing in the sufferings of Christ with our church body. Hi. Well, my name is Samantha McNeil. As Spencer said, I'm married to James. Um, he and I work with the Well College Ministry at ETSU, and we have a son, William, who is 11 years old, and we adopted him from China uh, just over five and a half years ago. And a lot of times when people see our family, they see that we've adopted internationally, that we only have one son. Um, they assume that perhaps we struggle with infertility, maybe we couldn't have children, um, and that's why we adopted. Um, the truth is that we adopted first uh, because we felt God leading us to do that. We met William on a mission trip in China a number of years ago, and we just knew that he was our son. And so we chose adoption first. Um, actually, it was a very long process uh, that I won't get into but to adopt, but... Um, the part of the Chinese adoption process is that you cannot actually get pregnant or it stops the adoption, and we didn't want to do that. Um, we wanted to continue in the adoption, so we didn't even try to have a baby until William had been home for two years. And so in January of 2016, uh, James and I felt led to try to have a baby and see what the Lord would do. And if I'm honest, I was a little bit fearful uh, because I thought, well, I wonder if the reason God gave us a heart for adoption is because this is going to be hard. I was kind of afraid of that. And so, but when we started um, January of 2016, we got pregnant immediately. And I just remember saying to James, praise the Lord, finally something that comes easily and fast. And I'm so thankful. Uh, little did we know that it would actually turn out to be very, very difficult. Um, just uh, early on into that pregnancy, we were headed to New York City on a mission trip with the well. And as we drove up to New York, uh, I, I, we knew that something was wrong. And we ended up having a miscarriage and losing that first baby. 
Uh, it was tough because we hadn't even told anyone we were pregnant, and yet here we were in front of 30 college students living out that kind of grief. And it did cause grief. It was very difficult for us, but I also came to realize that miscarriage, unfortunately, is very common. It happens to a lot of us. It's probably looking out at this group. I Not probably. I know, because I know many of you. I know that it's impacted so many of us, and it impacts so many women. And so I thought, okay, this happens, and it's sad, but I trusted that the Lord was good and that he would carry us through that time. A couple months later, uh, that summer of 2016, I ended up having some weird sensations in my legs that summer, and I ended up going to a neurologist, and uh, they were concerned that perhaps I had MS, and it kind of just caught me out of nowhere because I'd always been healthy, and I thought, okay, um, this is strange to <laughs> consider having this potential lifelong uh, thing, and um, and I know that there are many medications. I know that some of you potentially even have MS. I have friends that are very high-functioning. There's a lot they can do. But for me, in the process of waiting to, to see if I had MS, I found myself, which is what you shouldn't do, but go on Google and look up things, and it kind of leads you to the worst-case scenario. I... Um, I kept having this picture of an aunt who had spent most of her life in a wheelchair due to MS. And so that's just what kept coming to mind. And so as I waited on MRI results, I waited on testing, um, I was, I've been reminded since that I said to college students, I said to them, they've told me this, I said, if I glorify God better from a wheelchair one day, well then I want to embrace that. I want to embrace that because if that's what brings him glory from my life, then that's what I want to, I want to do. And thankfully, when the test results came back, um, they told me that I didn't have MS, and it was a one-time occurrence. And so even to this day, James and I sometimes look at that and we're like, what in the world was that about? Like, why did that even happen? That was sort of weird. Um, but after the MS scare, we kind of thought, okay, let's try to have a baby again. And so that fall of 2016, we um, tried again. And thankfully, we got pregnant very quickly, once again, and I remember that time just being so excited and so thrilled. I just was dreaming about this baby. I was so excited to know that we would have a child, and we went to our first ultrasound, and we got to see the heartbeat, and just it was like, oh my goodness, this is happening. <laughs> and um, then the doctor came in and told us that the heart rate was low. It was lower than it should be and that I would need to come back a week later so they could do it again, check it again. And so we did come back a week later, and the heartbeat was lower. And they said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to come back again in five days, and um, we'll see what's, what's going on, but it's not looking very good. And I remember those five days felt excruciating because as James and I looked at each other, it was like, what, what are we waiting on? We're either waiting on God to do a miracle, or we are waiting for our baby to die inside of me. And uh, it was tough. And so we went back five days later, and unfortunately there was not a heartbeat, and our baby had died. And it was five days before Christmas of that year. And after that happened, Honestly, I just sort of spiraled down. Uh, for people that knew me, knew that I was struggling. 
for those uh, that didn't know me very well from a distance, I probably seemed fine, but I wasn't. I wasn't fine. Um, I had just lost two babies to miscarriage, and I was wrestling with the Lord. I was wrestling with him. I was mad. I was angry. I questioned him. I questioned his goodness, and I had never done that before. But kind of like Spencer was saying, I didn't feel like God was good. In fact, I felt, felt like he was cruel. Because why does he give life just to take it away? And why was he doing this over and over to us? And I just couldn't understand miscarriage. I couldn't understand why it happened to so many women and marriages. I couldn't understand how that could possibly be for our good and turn out good. I, I just could not understand. And as I look through scripture, I just wrestled. Why does God allow this suffering? And why is he silent? Why, as I look in the Bible, do I not see this? And I was frustrated, and I was angry, and I was mad. And people would say to me during that time all these comments like, Oh, Jesus is rocking your baby in heaven. Jesus is holding your babies. I would have people say to me, Oh, a loved one that I have that you don't know, they're up there holding your babies. They're going to be just fine. Which I want to say is not helpful. Do not say things like that to people. It is not helpful. And more than that, I really wrestled to understand, is that even true? Do people just say that to make a grieving mom feel better? Is that even true? Are my babies even in heaven? Where in the Bible does it even say that? And I just wanted to know the truth. I wanted to understand. And I'm so thankful that James was so patient with me and that he prayed for me and he gave me space to wrestle. And a lot of times our wrestling can lead us away from the Lord. But I'm so grateful that for me, my wrestling led me to his word because I had nowhere else to go and I wanted answers from him. And as it led me to his word to search out what the scriptures say about miscarriage, I'm so grateful it led me into his arms. I also would say that I was really frustrated. I think when you're in a time of questioning, you kind of are looking for resources and help and things like that. I was really disappointed to find out that there were it was a major lack of resources, I think, of books and things like this on this topic. Um, Christian solid resources. I, I would think that something that impacts so many people and is so common that there should be shelves and shelves of it on, at the bookstore. And there aren't. There aren't. But praise God, I found one that I actually liked, and it was called Inheritance of Tears by a lady named Jessalyn Huto. I guess is how you pronounce her last name. And it was so helpful to me because she addressed a lot of the theological questions that I had. And it was a great tool that pointed me, not to her and her story, but pointed me to the Word of God. And I was so comforted to see that the Bible actually does talk about miscarriage. In fact, it talks about it in the first three chapters of the Bible. When you look at Genesis 3, what you find is that you see what? The sin of Adam and Eve, right? The sin enters the world. God creates a perfect world, and then they sin. And then as a consequence of their sin, there are curses. And when you look in Genesis 3, it says that God cursed the serpent. He cursed the ground. He cursed the man and the woman. And what you find, and what we find, is that the curse to Eve was what? 
In Genesis 3, verse 14, it says this, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And I'd read that a bunch of times before, and all my life as I had heard that, I just I only heard it referred to as labor pains, actually labor being painful as you give birth. But that's not all that this is saying. It is saying that there will be increased pain and suffering in bringing children into this world and bringing forth children. And so also as a consequence of sin, there became death, physical death. And so in that, you find that that is the introduction of miscarriage. There is pain multiplied in bringing forth children. That include, and there is death, and that includes death even in the womb. And so the reason there is miscarriage is because of sin. And I want to be really clear that I was not punished by, in having miscarriages because of my personal sins. That is not true, and if you believe that, or if this has happened to you, or something else has happened to you, and you think, I'm being punished by God because of my personal sin in this, that is not true. But it is, miscarriage and all other suffering is a result of original sin. And so when I came to grips with that and saying, wow, this is in here from the very beginning, there is death, there is pain, there is loss, there is miscarriage, it just gave me an anchor to say, okay, this is why this happens. And God is not a God who is cruel and unkind and isn't good. God is good. And he, he looked upon our sin and our grief and our pain, and he did something about it, right? He sent his son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to actually be born of a woman to come into this earth, to take on our sin and to overcome sin through the cross and to overcome death through, his, through the cross and his resurrection. And so he has overcome sin. He has overcome death. He has even overcome death through miscarriage because of Jesus alone. And so when I think about heaven, it's not a warm fuzzy that I'm going to see these babies again. It is the truth because of Jesus that I will see them again, that they are there because he overcomes death and he overcomes sin. And they are there because Jesus is there because Jesus is alive and he overcame death from the grave, right? And so it was like, praise God that I can believe in this because of the word of God. And I was so thankful to see that. And I'm going to be there only because of Jesus, too. And I will worship alongside of these babies one day. But here's the deal. The last three and a half years have still been full of suffering. And actually walking this out is tough. And I'm grateful for a more heaven-focused life because I live that way. We, sh we all should live that way. It says, set your minds on things above, not the things of this earth. We cling too much to all these things that we want here when we should be focused on heaven. I'm grateful for these babies that help me focus on that. Romans 8.18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. But here's the deal for me. It has been suffering for James. It has been suffering and walking this out, like Spencer is saying, in the everyday life has been very difficult. I'm grateful I have a stronger foundation in God's word and theological understanding and trust in his goodness. But it's tough to be a person who's, who's experienced miscarriage over and over. 
our culture, everything is about social media a lot. We elevate that. And in your 20s and 30s, a big thing that people elevate is their babies on, online. And I hate to say that. It sounds unkind, but it's, it's worth celebrating, but it's true. From the, the creative little birth announcement of like, oh, we're pregnant, we're pregnant, to like every month the baby bump growing and the little letter board saying what size fruit it is and then the gender reveal video and then it's like, oh, and then we get to have a maternity photo shoot where I'm like in the meadows with like high grass and it's beautiful and the sun's just right. And then we have the actual birth of the baby and then we have the baby's birth announcement. And then we have this cruel thing that someone created called a blanket with 12 numbers on it that every month women post a picture of their baby with the month circled and they do that every month and I and so I get that though it's hard to talk about this in front of you all but I get that that's something to celebrate but sometimes I've looked at James and I've said okay do people even have a baby if they don't do this like if you don't do all that did your baby was it even born <laughs> because it's so much and I've had to really remove myself from social media because it's just so painful to see these things over and over I'll also say it's been tough to be at Redstone the last three and a half years God has been so kind to give so many of, of all the families here lots of babies. There's huge families here. There's lots of babies everywhere. There's pregnant people everywhere. There's a lot of former well students that go here who are about 15 years younger than me who have babies. And uh, it's tough. I'm just being totally honest and vulnerable. It is hard. It is hard. And it's one of the reasons I was a little nervous to come up here and speak because there have been many weeks that I just couldn't be here. But it's been hard. And so I don't want to belittle suffering because it's difficult to walk out. And I also want to be clear that James and I are so thankful for our son, William. Before we knew any of this would happen, God gave us William. And he, we are parents, and I am a mom, and he is the greatest joy, oh my goodness. But it doesn't take the fact that we have had children die. It doesn't take that away. Because miscarriage isn't just a failed attempt at having a baby. Miscarriage, was that baby is real. That baby is a person who existed, who exists in heaven right now. And I want to grieve the loss of that life and those lives and I don't think that our culture grieves very well. So walking through this, is still, I fight anger uh, and pain. And I wanted to give a tool that was helpful to me and ha continues to be helpful to me because I don't know what kind of suffering you all might be going through. You might relate to this. You might not relate to this at all. But one practical tool that I read about in a book, and it sounded pretty stupid when I read it. <laughs> I was like, this is cheesy. I'm not doing that. But then here I was doing it. But I read that it, it can be helpful when you're angry at the Lord and when you're suffering to write out that suffering, to write it out in a letter to the Lord and be real and raw and honest because he already knows. And I was reading this, this book, that it's helpful to write that down with a Sharpie on a balloon. And then to let that balloon go. And so after the loss of our second child, it was um, July 22nd, 2017. It was actually our second baby's due date. James and I actually were at the beach and we wrote out on a, on a balloon 
And we had two of them, and we released those two balloons, and we watched them as it took a while, but until they were completely out of sight, they became smaller and smaller and smaller. And surprisingly, it actually really helped me because it was a way of surrendering that pain, surrendering those babies to the Lord. And it helped. And if you look up here, you'll see that I actually have three balloons, not just two. And that's because this past fall, James and I became pregnant again, and we lost that third baby as well. And here's the thing, I did not spiral down to the depths. Did I grieve? Yes. Was I angry? Yes. Did I trust in the unchanging character of God who is good and who works all things together for our good? Yes, absolutely I did trust in him. And this last pregnancy, this last baby, I think has really helped me to see that sometimes I think we go through suffering and we think, oh, I'm suffering so much. And so then when that time of suffering is just over, God's going to just give me everything he wants. Or I, not he wants, everything I want. And sometimes we even look at that J-curve image and we're like, go through it temporarily and then boom, I'm exalted. I get everything I want. That is not true. And this baby has helped me see that my hope can't be in a baby. My hope has to be in him. And sometimes God doesn't just put a perfect bow on it that ties everything together. The point of suffering is that Christ is exalted and not us. And how do we begin to embrace suffering in a Christ-exalting way? How do we begin to embrace suffering, share in his suffering, that he is exalted? And sometimes it doesn't just go away. One thing that James has, we have talked over the last several years, I think he has hoped that I would just move on <laughs> and get better. But this kind of pain, not in an insensitive way, it's just, I think it's just been hard. And I said, I don't know how else to articulate how I have been feeling other than to say it like this. Sometimes God is most glorified in us from a wheelchair. And I want to be careful when I use this comparison because I've never been in a wheelchair. <laughs> Obviously, I referred to that earlier when I talked about MS. I've never been in a wheelchair, and anyone who is in a wheelchair would probably wholeheartedly disagree with me on this comparison. But I, I don't know how else to express how repeated miscarriage has made me feel. Uh, statistics say that only 1% of pregnant women experience three miscarriages in a row. So it's not common. It's not. And so the way it has made me feel is I have felt like these recurrent miscarriages have been my wheelchair that God has entrusted to me. When we see a person in a wheelchair, often we notice it. We don't really know why they're in it. We feel uncomfortable, and we don't know what to say, and we're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. We also look at them, and we feel sorry for them. And on the inside, we're secretly so thankful that we aren't them. And we would never say that, but we think it. Because we live in a walking world, and most people walk. And most people, it comes very naturally and easily to them. And we celebrate steps 
And we post pictures of all the things that we do walking. And in walking is wonderful unless you're a person who cannot walk. And as I have experienced these miscarriages, I have said to James, it makes me feel like I'm in a wheelchair. I think people see it. They don't know why I'm in this situation, which there is no, for me, there is no medical reason why this has happened. None. And some of you might think, you should try this specialist. There is no medical reason why this has happened to us. It just has. But when you see someone, it has made me feel like I'm in a wheelchair. People see it. They don't know why I'm in this situation. They're uncomfortable. They don't know what to say. They're going to... They're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. Often they sadly do. (laughs) They feel sorry for me. They feel sorry for us. And they're also thankful they're not us. Because for a lot of them, pregnancy is something that just happened and came pretty easily, and they didn't try that hard. And we live in a world where most people have babies. And they post all their pictures of their babies and all the things that they do with them. And it's all wonderful, and we should rejoice with those who rejoice. But what about when you can't? Or what about when you think you can, only to be reminded that you don't? And that is how I have felt. But what if I glorify God best from a wheelchair? And what if you glorify God best from your wheelchair? Will you embrace it for the sake of exalting Christ? And that is my question for you. Will you embrace suffering with Christ so that he will be exalted most? I have no clue what God will do with our family. None. We may still have a baby. I have no idea. But the baby for us is not the goal. Exalting Christ is the goal, however weak and feeble our attempts to do so may be. And I also would say that our son William does not know anything about this. He's young, and he does not understand. And so I was also hesitant, honestly, with Spencer to share about this for fear that he would hear it from someone within our church body. It wasn't us. And so I just ask for your help in that. I don't know what your wheelchair may be, but how I pray that you will exalt Christ through it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Jesus, it took a lot for Samantha to say those words. And for us to be reminded that our goal is not the thing that we need most. The goal is to glorify you and exalt you above all things. Here's our challenge for you this morning. In the quietness of this time of prayer, we want this to be a time of reflection of what you are exalting higher than Jesus. The thing that you're claiming would solve everything, would answer all the questions, that if, just if, this was taken away or given to you, that all of life would 
would, give, would uh, come into clarity. Men and women, we exalt too many things in our life. And this has been a season, and this has been a Sunday, and this has been a story to remind us, to jar us, to make sure that there's only one king on the throne, and there's only one that we sing to, and that's Jesus Christ. I praise God for Samantha's courage, Lord. Thank you so much for giving her the boldness to share those hard things with us. I believe that through your word, the fact that we are to share in your suffering and through the testimony of your saints, that we have been moved to be different this morning. That there are men and women there are college students, that there are middle schoolers and high schoolers, that there may be someone in here, there may be more than one person in here that needs to come to you this morning to say, I have stopped exalting you. And to repent of those things, to turn and to lift their eyes and cast their gaze upon you. For you are the one who defeats sin and defeats death, and you're the one and only promise for us. We don't do this a lot, but if that's you this morning and you need someone to pray with you in this quiet moment, I would encourage you just to slip out and go to the back. We have a prayer team in the back who would love to just walk alongside you in this moment. Is there something that you're exalting higher than Christ? Christ Jesus, it's in you and you alone that all of life can make sense. Jesus, you do not sugarcoat pain and sin, but instead you stick it right in the center of our theology and our life. The very essence of who you are is your passion, the fact that you gave your life for us. Jesus, we want to exalt you this morning and we want to thank you this morning for walking a long and dark and lonely road of suffering for us in order to give us the promised uh, resurrection and life that we do not deserve. We praise you this morning and since your name we pray.